you're listening to this, I know for a fact that you're concerned about cybersecurity threats targeting your organization. Therefore, I need to tell you about CrowdSec, the open source and participative security solution that offers unmatched protection against malicious IPs while providing access to cutting-edge, real-world threat intelligence. Cyber criminals use compromised IP addresses to remain anonymous, but CrowdSec has devised a way to combat that. By harnessing the power of sysadmins, DevOps, and SecOps, we can outnumber and identify these threats. It's a collaborative effort aimed at securing the internet for the greater good of our countries, companies, institutions, privacy, and personal data. United, we can make a difference. CrowdSec is designed to be user-friendly regardless of your level of expertise. It's easy to set up, deploy, and use. You don't need a PhD in software deployment to get CrowdSec installed and running. In fact, it takes under two minutes. With CrowdSec, you'll gain valuable insights into your security landscape. Its integration with Metabase and Prometheus allows you to generate out-of-the-box dashboards and monitor activity across your assets effortlessly. And with their API-driven architecture, all components communicate seamlessly via an HTTP API, making it simple to integrate into your existing infrastructure. Are you worried about false positives? If so, don't. That's because CrowdSec is replayable, capable of processing both live and old logs, ensuring accuracy in threat detection while remaining resilient against false alarms. But the power of CrowdSec does not stop there. It's a community-driven solution that encourages collaboration. You're able to share malicious IP data with peers, have each other's backs, and together combat the evil entities among us. Oh, and here's the best part. CrowdSec is open source. It's as transparent as it gets with an MIT license ensuring no shenanigans. So I highly encourage you to connect with the growing community that is embracing CrowdSec. It's time to join forces and protect what matters most. Learn more about CrowdSec today at www.crowdsec.net. This is Barcode, a cocktail-powered podcast that dives deep into the technology, personalities, criminals, and heroes that have come to define modern security across the globe. I'm Chris Glandon. Join me at the bar for an amazing story. Deep within the rugged terrain of digital mountains, where the air is crisp and the towering mountaintops touch the sky resides a remarkable group of individuals known as Sherpas. Sherpas play multiple roles during expeditions. They serve as guides, leading the way and providing crucial information about the terrain, weather conditions, and potential hazards. Sherpas offer essential guidance and support to climbers along their path, using their extensive knowledge of the terrain to navigate treacherous paths and establish safe base camps along the route. Within this group, one Sherpa differentiates herself as a guide to cybersecurity. Her name is Tracy. From the halls of a law firm library to leading and inspiring others within the cybersecurity realm, this is her story. But before we embark on this journey, I'm joined by my trusted co-host, Rohan Light. 
And the drink of choice I'm going with is called nonfiction. You'll need one and a half ounces gin, three quarters ounce elderflower liquor, half ounce fresh lemon juice, half ounce lavender syrup, and two dashes of orange bitters. In a cocktail shaker with ice, you add all of those ingredients into the shaker and shake it vigorously for 10 to 15 seconds. Strain the cocktail into a chilled martini glass and optionally garnish it with a sprig of fresh lavender. That's the real deal. Now, here we go. Buckle up. My path into information security began with me crying on a train. I had worked at law firm libraries for, you know, for a while, for you know, almost 15 years, I think, maybe 10 years. And I just felt that I, I didn't have anywhere else to go, that I had gone as far as I could. And I just, you know, I felt just really kind of lost and wasn't really sure what was going on with my career. And this made me sad. So when I commuted in and out of the city on the train, uh, I would I would cry. And uh, as I've told the story before, it wasn't like, you know, quiet, you know, demure crying. Of course, it was just like ugly crying with sunglasses on because <laughs> it was very stressful. You know, you work so hard to get you know, to somewhere in your career and then you're, you look around and you're like, this is it. Like, this is <laughs> what I worked off for and it's not as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. <clears throat> so I started doing some reading on the train and I read this article in Entrepreneur Magazine, How to Future-Proof Your Career in 2015. And that was something that I was very keen about was the future-proofing aspect because at the time there was a lot of layoffs in the law firm and library worlds and I just didn't want to wind up being one of several law firm librarians looking for a job in Philadelphia because there's only so many to go around. So I was trying to think of something that would be more long-term. So this article uh, you know, gave some tips and, and one of the tips they they gave is really where I got introspective and it said, you know, look back at all the past jobs that you've had. If you don't have that much work experience, look at classes and volunteer situations, things like that. Um, and find if there's a common thread of something that interested you, excited you, etc. And I did. I, I thought about it and I realized it was tech. Tech was the the thing that was my common thread. Uh, so, you know, for example, uh, I had once had an office job on the campus of Penn State, and just playing around with the computer, I managed to find this back channel email network that nobody seemed to know existed, <laughs> uh, and and things like that. I always like to kind of you know poke around and and find and find things. So, you know, remembering this, and so I thought, okay. I am going to declare 2015 the year of my career. <laughs> this is that I decided New Year's Eve 2014. I was watching Guardians of the, Gal of the Galaxy with my husband, <laughs> and I just and uh, I I was having an orange soda with whipped cream flavored vodka, which I highly recommend. Orange and <laughs> cream! Oh my god, that's lethal. Yeah, it tastes like an orange cream sickle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was this thing called? 
Oh, I don't know what it's called. I just knew I knew that the flavors would be good together. So nice. <laughs> and yeah, I enjoyed my beverage and just kind of thought about it. And yeah, that's when I had that declaration. You know what? I'm going to make 2015 the year of my career. I'm going to explore some options and try to figure out a better way forward. So then I spent January 1st watching, you know, football games and parades. And in Philly, we have the Mummers. Uh, and I sat in front of the TV and I re- redid my resume and I redid uh, my LinkedIn profile and things like that. Uh, and then I applied for a couple library jobs. And I did this on purpose because I wanted to make sure that I was finished with library world. So as expected, I almost immediately uh, received feedback from my those three jobs that I applied for. I got interviews right away. No, that that part wasn't wasn't surprising. So I went on each of those interviews, and that's what helped cement that I was I was over it because I had the realization of okay, this is just the same at a different law firm. And that's what I needed to to know because I didn't want to move forward. And this is what I recommend for anyone because you you don't want to backtrack. You don't want to have a, re- have a regret of like, well, was I not really done with my other career yet? So that was just a, an, an exercise of, of me making sure that I, I was over it. And I definitely was over it. Um, And that's what, like I said, that's what I realized. Like, okay, so changing firms won't matter. This is all just the same everywhere. So uh, that's when I decided to, that just took up all of January of 2015. So starting February, I, I went to tech meetups. I went to workshops. And it was a little bumpy because, to be honest, I, I was going to a lot of tech meetups Tech meetups are not security meetups. It's a different type of people, different values, different things that they care about. And honestly, I didn't really like those people that much. <laughs> um, you know, I I just didn't really find that I clicked with them. Um, you know, in some cases, if you go to a tech meetup, everybody wants to either know do you have a lot of money to invest or do you have the next Facebook idea? So people would talk to you just long enough to figure out if you fit into one of those either two categories. And that was really frustrating. And just, I'm just trying to network and meet people and learn about tech and everybody's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like day and night. Everybody's selling something. Yeah. it's, It's like day and night with the security and the tech industry, everyone in security, you know, that I've met for, you know, for the most part, it's always been like, you know, let me give you some advice or, you know, let me talk to you about this security principle. Everything in tech was just like, who do you know? How much are you investing? What ideas do you have? And things like that. And yeah, so I didn't really, I didn't really enjoy that. So what happened was that a, a, a you know, friend of my husband's and mine was watching me spin my wheels. He graciously would go with me to a lot of these tech meetups. And, you know, I would leave and I'd be like, wow, these they are just a bunch of jerks, aren't, aren't they? Uh, so finally, after a couple months of this, he was just like, all right, 
I, I, I want to talk to you about the world of cybersecurity <laughs> or as or as he referred to it as first back end. He's like, I'm going to talk to you about back end security. He said, you know, I think I think you would be good at it. I think this would interest you. And I think you'll find that it's, it's a much better fit than all this tech stuff that you've been spinning your wheels doing. Like, for example, I went to a Ruby on Rails workshop. I walked out after 15 to 20 minutes because I thought to myself, I do not want this nonsense in my life, like ever. (laughs) So, I mean, I think I spent $25 on the workshop and I paid for parking. But as I tell people, to me, that was money well spent because I knew that I never wanted to learn that, that language. And also just that coding in general really wasn't my jam. So sometimes you do kind of need to take the L (laughs) for these things, but don't look at it as a failure. It's a learning lesson. So I felt very comfortable being like, okay, great. I've just paid 30 bucks to know that I never want to sit in a Ruby on Rails class ever again. So those were the kinds of things that I would do. I would go to different things and just be like, okay, you know, and I I obviously never did anything too expensive, um, but still it, it was just like okay, let you know, let let's try this out. So then I'm hearing about this back end stuff, and then one day, I guess it was August of 2015, the same friend was out in Las Vegas at Black Hat, and I get a text on my phone of of a photo of the booth at Black Hat for the Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu. and he he sent me a bunch of photos from their booth and gave me their links and all that stuff and he said i just told them all about you um they're expecting to hear from you he said you get involved with this group this is going you know to help you uh and like two to three weeks later i was taking their cybersecurity basics or fundamentals of cybersecurity workshop. It was a two-part workshop at the University of Maryland. And I'm in the Philly area, so I drove down like three hours um, to go to go do that. And, you know, yeah, I my joke is they had me at port scanning. I was like, where has this stuff been all of my life? Like, yeah, this <laughs> is amazing. And and I know that there's been a lot written and said about uh you know, like same-sex education or like, you know, uh, women-only education. And that did, I have to say, that did very much help me, for example, because it was just a room full of women. Uh, you know, the instructors were women. And, you know, it's not that I, I don't, you know, I, I don't resent male teachers or anything, but I've also been in enough classes of, of to know that usually there's always one guy <laughs> who knows everything. And case in point, I went to an introduction to Python class and it was geared towards women, but it was open to anyone. But there was one guy in the class who did nothing but heckle the the woman instructor. But nobody would say anything, and I don't care. I'll say whatever. So, um, <laughs> so finally, you know, like he he kept interrupting and correcting her and things like that. And I started to get the sense of I don't. He shouldn't be in an introduction class, like if he knows so much. So one of the times he started to get into it with her, he he got frustrated and declared how many years of Python experience he had. So that's when I yelled out, then why are you here? This is an introduction to Python class. 
And I told him, I'm like, please leave or be quiet because, you know, you're interrupting. So having had that experience before of like, you know, you know, no offense, gentlemen, but it only takes one, you know, jerk man <laughs> in a classroom of women uh, to, you know, to really kind of ruin the experience for everyone because he was Chris very just polarizing. At me. So, <laughs> so, um, so th- I just wanted to tell that story to to contrast with being in a room full of women. The teacher, you know, the teachers were women. It was just a different atmosphere there. You know, there was nobody there like calling out heckling or anything. We were just there, you know, to learn. So uh, so I did that and cybersecurity became my quirky hobby. I set up all kinds of Google alerts. I, I tell people to do this all the time. I wanted to to see what sort of news I was clicking on. So I had tech alerts, cybersecurity alerts, and I found myself always clicking on anything cybersecurity related. Like, oh, there was a breach. Let me click on that. (laughs) So it became my quirky hobby and I just started to absorb everything. So to the point, September 2015, I reached out to the CIO of the law firm where I was working and I said, hey, cybersecurity has become my quirky hobby. What is the law firm doing for Cybersecurity Awareness Month next month? and how can I get involved? To which he responded, what's Cybersecurity Awareness Month? (laughs) So, um, kind of anticipating this, I actually had a whole proposal ready to go. I had this five-point plan. At that time, there were five five Fridays in October that year. And I said, every Friday, let's send out an infographic about just basics, cybersecurity. So I had a theme for each week. Uh, I don't remember all of the themes, but one was, um, you know, the perils of free Wi-Fi, um, you know, and, uh, you know, like phishing emails, don't be a great catch. Like your basic run of the mill, what I understand now to be like your, your, entry levels, cybersecurity awareness. But again, for me at that time, I was still kind of clueless working without a net, but to me that they were, they were good. So. And for the end users, you want to keep it high level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just, yeah, kept it to, you know, thing, things like that. Um, though I do have to say though, the, so he loved everything. I sent him my whole plan. I sent him the little portfolio I created. The only thing that I couldn't get pushed through was explaining what a VPN was. And his reasoning was, is, well, we don't want people using VPNs. I'm like, yeah, I kind of think you you do if they're not on our network. And, it, you know, it, he, he was putting up a fight with me on that. He's like, we don't want to tell people that VPNs exist. And I'm like, that's you don't think that that anybody <laughs> knows about VPNs? Okay. So basically inside my head, I'm thinking, you you know, just let this battle go. You won the war and you're, and you're able to run this program. So, um, cause I wanted to dig in. I'm like, Ugh. so that was the only thing I had to take out was VPNs. I'm like, fine. So he assigned a help desk person and a marketing person to me. And remember, keep in mind, I'm still just the librarian in the law firm. And he said, uh, I have, Someone from the help desk, someone from marketing, they're going to, you know, you're going to run point on this, but, you know, make sure that they see everything. The help desk per- person was just to like double check my tech and the marketing person was to, it was more familiar with, you know, how things are presented with the style within the firm and stuff. Uh, so that went out and November 1st, I followed up with the CIO and said, you know, so how do you think it went? 
And what else can I do? And he said, yeah, it went great. And he goes, listen, you can do that again next year. And I thought, oh, no, I've, you know, I, I've always jokingly said I've tasted the blood of security and I want more. So talk to my husband about it. And basically, you know, we just kind of came up with a plan for our household finances because my plan was to up and quit my job. <laughs> I was going to start uh, an LLC, which I still have running today called Sherpa Intelligence. So I got this LLC off the ground and the plan was just to do whatever freelance research and social media work I could do just to bring in any income while I studied and networked and absorb and just uh, immersed myself in InfoSec world in order to get a job in it. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, January 2016 came around. I resigned from, from the firm. And a couple weeks later, uh, back when RSA was held in February, uh, I was on a plane to San Francisco because I had a client hire me uh, to go out to RSA to help them with some things on site and do some on-site social media work for them. And while I was there, I also got another client who wanted me to do some research for them. And I got another client from all from the, the showroom floor uh, who hired me to help their people with social media training. Uh, so I, I did a lot of cybersecurity adjacent work. I went to every workshop, every conference that I could. I was able to talk more companies into hiring me to go to conferences and do their social media on site. Um, so I went to something ridiculous like 12 or 15 conferences in like a year and a half <laughs> and uh, having various varying degrees of them, you know, paid for or, you know, be covered. So uh, but I just was a sponge, you know, absorbing everything, meeting people. I'm well aware of the value of networking. So I, I knew that that was important. Uh, so I did that for a year and a half and what i i always tell people when when they're trying to get into i guess any industry but specifically infosec you need to put some time markers in place because otherwise you could just be job hunting forever <laughs> so i uh, and i said some of those time markers can be in sand and some can be in stone and you know just know which ones can be changed or should be changed and which ones have to stay you know, in stone or cement. And for me, it was December 31st, 2017. If I didn't have any realistic uh, offers or leads, my husband and I were going to consider relocating where there were more jobs. Because keep in mind, this was pre-pandemic. Trying to find remote work as an entry-level person was near impossible. And Philadelphia, especially at the, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, didn't have as many cybersecurity jobs. So, you know, it was starting to look kind of bleak. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I just kept at it, kept at it. Finally, one day in April, I received of 2017, I received four rejection emails in one day. And I was so... I was just so annoyed and I was complaining to, to someone I knew already in the industry. I said, what do I have to do just to at least get in front of people to get them to understand my skill set? Because I always knew deep inside, I knew that my library science skill set would be useful in information security. I just knew that. And that was my driving force. So he said, listen, he said, do you mind if I post about you on my social media? 
he's like, I, you know, I can't believe you haven't even gotten any interviews yet. So I said, yeah, at that point, I was like, sure, like, just just go ahead for you know do it so i remember he tweeted at me and it was almost like this admonishing tweet of like i can't believe none of you people you know have have hired this woman uh and then like 20 minutes later i had a, a direct message uh from someone who would become my first manager and said oh i've been following you uh for you know for a little bit and i didn't realize you were looking for a job, which another point I like to, to say here for people job hunting, as obvious as you think you're being looking for a job, you need to be even more obvious because I thought I was being very obvious <laughs> that I was looking for a job. So you have to be even more obvious that you're looking. And he said, yeah, he's like, I'm impressed with your skill set. I'd like to bring you in. We have an entry level Slack analyst position. Uh, so, yeah, I'm like a couple, you know, two weeks later, I was interviewing and uh, I got the job and that I was a sock analyst for a global pharmaceutical company. And uh, the, just one quick funny thing about my interview, it happened the same day as WannaCry that happened. Uh, so I remember getting, yeah, the, my interview was in the afternoon, but I remember that morning, um, you know, again, because of the time difference with the UK and, and where I am in, in the East Coast, like we, we kind of heard some of it. We kind of had, I don't know if you remember back to that day, like we were, we didn't even have the name yet. So, um, but just bits and pieces of just kind of hearing the NHS was compromised and, and whatnot. So I remember thinking to myself, if I were interviewing me, I would ask me <laughs> some things about this issue that's, that's, you know, growing like it was still in, in progress. So I, well, I gathered what little information that I could. And I remember practicing as I was driving to the interview, three ways to remediate this issue that we barely had any information about yet. And I am not joking at the end of my, my interview, which went like an hour and a half, it went really long. The, the head person in the room looks at me and says, you know, oh, you see, you know, you know that there's some, do you know that there's something going on today? And I, you know, shared what I, what I knew. He said, okay, great. Name any, I'm not joking. He's looked at me and said, name three ways you would remediate this problem. And I'm cracking up going, practice this in the car on the way here. So the first thing that I, I don't even remember if I got to say my second two, because the first one they never even thought of. I said my first one, which I'll share what it was in a second. It's not like a, it's not like a big secret or anything. Um, but as soon as I said the first one, the, they all turned to each other and they go, "We never even thought of that." <laughs> uh, and what I what I said was, is I said, "Okay, well, my first act of remediation would be sending out an urgent alert to the company because of it being a pharmaceutical company." I said they're likely to have. Um, contacts at the NHS. And I said, so if they get an email, and I said, we should just assume that the NHS email at this point is probably compromised if their whole network is compromised so that any phone calls, texts, or emails they receive could be phishing. I'm like, I think we just need to, like, we need to make that assumption at this point. And I said, so you need to, you know, maybe put some uh, filters in place, put, you know, get knowledge out there and just make people aware. And, th and they were like, uh, they were concentrated on the network side, which I understand, but this is what I bring to this industry is a different way at looking at things. And that's when they were like, oh, we never even, never even thought of that. And I said, well, yeah, that, that's the first thing that I would have done was just to give everyone a heads up of like, hey, 
that person you think you know at the NHS may not actually be contacting you. <laughs> okay. So then they're like, okay, you're hired. Yeah, really. So I got, yes, yeah, so I got hired and the rest is kind of history. So yeah, that, like, so that's the unabridged loan version. And, um, you know, it's, it, I know that to some people they think, oh, it took an hour, a year and a half for you to, to transition. And, you know, well, you know, yeah, cause you have to build your skills. I knew, and now I don't have a tech background, you know, so the amount of time may vary for people, but you should be prepared uh, you know, that it might be a little difficult at first, especially if you're someone like me coming in without, uh, you know, without a tech background. Now, admittedly, things are uh, are better now, but, you know, remember back in 2017, 2016, I mean, I actually had, I don't want to say the name of the company, but I actually had a, a very famous um, consulting company. Someone look at my resume and said, you need to take this L word off of your resume. And I'm like, L word? Library. She was like, you, you need to take, take library off of your, your resume. No one's going to hire you if you have the word library on here. And my response was, well, then I'd just be lying because like, how can I remove it from, I'm like, it's literally the the name of one of my, of my master's degree. <laughs> you know? And, and she kept telling me, oh, nobody's going to hire you, hire a librarian for this. Um, and I'm just glad I didn't listen to her. I, I was just more annoyed. I was like, all right, like it's a good statement of the industry though. The yeah. People yeah. generally only buy commodity roles. They don't seek to connect the role to the person and actually the person is the competitive advantage. The role is just a shell. Yeah. So I, I didn't listen to, to her, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I do like to share these stories because of other people coming into the industry. Uh, I also want people to emphasize upon people: you do need to do your work. I mean, when I when I was so after I decided I wanted to make this career move, I commuted on the train listening to cybersecurity podcasts. You know, on on my train ride. Um, I, the one I liked in particular was, uh, you know, defensive security with, uh, Jerry Bell and Andrew Lurg because they would cover the news items that week, the cybersecurity news items, and then, you know, talk about them, break them down. I would DM them on Twitter questions after I'd listened to their session and they would answer them, you know, answer my questions and, and things like that. I used to go to conference sessions, conference talks, technical talks. And I would take copious notes, even if I didn't know what they were saying. If I heard a word that I didn't didn't know and didn't know how to spell it, I would spell it phonetically. And then as soon as the talk was done, I would find someone, whether it be the speaker, if they you know were available, or just someone around me. I'd say, hey, the the speaker said this word during their talk. I I don't know what this is. Did I spell it right? And a lot of times they would just take my notebook, spell it the right way, and explain what it was. Um, I don't think I would have that experience if I had stayed on the tech track. Um, I think the security world is is much more amenable to to helping people is is what i experienced uh so yeah i i don't be afraid 
to just go into a session. So here, here's a true story I'll tell you about from, from ShmooCon. So I honestly do not remember who this was, but I remember standing in the hallway at ShmooCon and this guy came up to me and he was like, you know, hey, I think he knew who I was from Twitter. And he said, you know, he's like, you kind of look confused. And I said, well, I don't know which one of these three sessions to go to go into and he's like well listen i he's like i don't care which session i go into i have nothing else to do right now i'll tell you what you pick the session i'll sit next to you and i'll explain what's going on and i was like oh my god that's amazing so i i, I kind of call this like my goldilocks moment <laughs> so we walked we walked to the first room there was three three big rooms in this hallway so we went to the first room and i looked at the sign outside of it and he said what about this one and i said I don't even understand the name of the session. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't even know what some of these words mean. Um, so he's like, okay, let's go to the second one. So we went to the second one and I said, well, I, I recognize some of the words in that title, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what, what it means. He's like, okay, that's fine. Let's go to the third one. And the third session had Linux in the title. And I went, Linux, I know what that is. <laughs> He's like, all right, we'll go in, we'll go in here. And yeah, so we sat, you know, in the back, we tried to stay away from people so we wouldn't, you know, bother anyone. And I also find it very useful if you take notes by hand. Uh, there's also studies that say that you uh, absorb more if you oh, write yeah. it out. So yes, yeah, so I had my big thick notebook with my pencil and yeah, so he sat next to me so I would write things down or he would grab my paper and like did stuff like that. And yeah, it was just, it. it's those kinds of experiences that I just, you know, really enjoy the InfoSec community. And, and I know that this might be, that might be scary thought to people of like, oh, I can't, sit in a session that I don't know anything that's going on or just interact with a stranger like that. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's just, you have to do these things. You have to make yourself feel uncomfortable, in, you know, in order to learn. And, you know, yeah, I, to this day, I can't tell you what that session was about, but I, I'm, it was something to do with Linux and I, um, yeah, but that's how you learn things. You just have to kind of just jump in the deep end and and surround yourself with it. The characteristic of your tale is actually commitment to change. And um, also then with that commitment to change, you had these two positive um, intercessions by, by people helping you through. And I think the connection is generally speaking, um, if you make the effort to try and go through, then the chances of you getting some help is much higher, i.e. don't just wait for the help. Start that journey. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, you know, and I'm very much against gatekeeping. Obviously, I don't know if anybody's, I mean, there are some people pro gatekeeping, but you do have to put some work in. Um, I, I, I really have low tolerance for people who haven't done any of their own research or homework and just come to me with questions. Like I had someone get on a call with me once and just said, how do you do security? I'm like, yeah, no, this calls like, no, that that's you, you need to, to go back and, and do, do some research. Um, so yeah, you're right. Like I, and again, this comes from my librarian background. I, I'm not going to approach someone unless I already have, you know, exhausted every 
every outlet that I know to follow. Um, so I, and again, I'm not trying to be mean, but my time is valuable. And how are you really going to learn if I'm just telling you? Uh, so I, I had a little bit of that, you know, happen uh, before. And I just, I highly, you know, you, that's what I keep, I keep emphasizing. You need to put the work in. There's a lot of, you know, there are some charlatans in our, our community who are selling boot camps and, you know, talking, you know, like, oh, get rich quick, joining cybersecurity, things like that. It, you know, you you still have to know stuff and you have to still put the time in. And yeah, I knew that the learning curve for myself was going to be great because I didn't have a technical background, you know, so... I, I put the work in, but I was also realistic that I wasn't going to be, a, you know, a network engineer. I just know, I just, I mean, to, I mean, I just knew that, you know, my aptitude and all, and I'm like, okay, so I, I want to be technical enough that I can at least have a conversation with the more technical folks so that I can help translate that to the less technical people. And that, and I decided that that was my goal and I was content with that. And there's a value in that. And, and I think that's what people need to understand is you ask, you also have to kind of understand your limitations of learning the tech. And because uh, I see some people just be, be brand new to the industry and say, well, I'm going to go be a pen tester. I'm like, okay, okay, slow, slow down, <laughs> you know, like that's great. And yes, we need pen testers, but do you know, do you even know anything about defense? Do you know, you know, anything about these tools? You know, like it's fine to want to like, you know, move fast and break stuff, but you also know have, know have to put it together again <laughs> too. And I see too many people rushing to be red team without really even understanding what they're, they're doing. Uh, so I, I kind of advise against that. <laughs> wow. That's actually an organizational necessity is a good red team. So therefore, if you have a bunch of people who are not quite capable red teaming your organization, you have a serious problem. Yeah, there's I've I've come across some some younger folks that don't have technical chops, but all they want to do is red team. And again, not trying to discourage them, but making them aware of like, okay, well, this is what the hill is going to look like for you. Like you can't just walk into it. Um, and I don't think a lot of them understand that. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people think they can just walk into like entry level red team. And I don't, I think a very special work environment has to exist for that. I don't want to say that it's impossible. I think it needs to be an organization that's big enough to have a mentor to train you things like like I said, I'm not trying to say that it doesn't exist at all, because then I'll, I'll sure I'll get comments after this post of, well, I did this. Yes, I'm sure they exist, but I think they exist in special situations when it's a giant team, you know, that has time to train and, and do things like that. I don't see a small company having the time or patience to to do that. So that that's why I want people to, you know, be aware of what they're setting their sights on and, you know, how feasible is that for you? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my story. People ask me, well, how did you know that library science skills would be, be useful? And I, I, it was just intuitive. I don't, 
I don't know. I just, I just knew. I don't know. I can't tell you. I just, <laughs> I just didn't know. <laughs> well, I love that story. And, and I think it's the optimal segue into the topic of diversity. You have folks with different backgrounds, different perspectives, yet are able to enter the industry and be able to contribute. Um, and you're a strong advocate for creating a culture of diversity. So if you don't mind, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, what drives your passion for this cause and what steps do you believe are necessary to achieve a truly inclusive environment? Sure. Um, I mean, I can't think about a time when I wasn't in interested in diversity, but I mean, let let me just put it this way. I I strongly believe in the principle that diversity of thought solves problems. Um, And that's, and I think a lot of times, some people may recoil when they hear, you know, the term DEI or diversity. Diversity means a lot of different things. It can also mean having, you know, someone only with a high school diploma versus people who went to college. It, you know, it can mean, went to an Ivy League school versus a state school, <laughs> you know, um, it can mean lot. Yes, obviously it can mean like, you know, race and religion and all that other stuff, but it can also mean a lot, a lot more. Um, so that that's why I want people to really open up their eyes of, of what DEI, you know, can be because you want these different types of folks. A, a good example of this is threat intelligence. Um, that's something that I've been trying to to uh, get further pivot into. And I've heard from a lot of folks say, uh, and I've been told directly, like trying to get a job in it, oh, well, you don't have military or government experience and we're not really interested. I'm like, I did high level research for law firms for, you know, to, to get information for lawsuits. Like they trusted me with that. I think I can do your other stuff. Um, but at the same time, I've also heard, you know, Threat Intel managers say to me, you know, I'd hire you in a heartbeat because everybody on my team was trained exactly the same way and everybody does things exactly the same way. That's the kind of diversity where, you know, I'm talking about is you have a whole team of Threat Intel people who do all the same steps and think of everything the same way. Um, And, you know, that's going to leave a lot of stones uncovered. And so that's where I feel like I come in. And this actually happened the other day. I was on an interview. Um, I, I don't want to po- I, I don't want to get too into detail in case they like ask this all the <laughs> all the time in their interviews. But uh, they asked me a question, and you know, I rattled. They told me afterwards that yeah, at first I rattled off some of the answers they were expecting, and then I'm, as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh wait, how about this? And again, I had that moment of. We never even thought of that. And they told me on the interview, right, that they said, of all the people we've interviewed, no one has ever given us, and it was a good answer. They said, you know, and this answer, and they're like, that's probably the best answer of them all. And you're the only one who's ever come up with that. And I gave my reasons why I said it. And they're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I could just see everybody looking at each other on the camera going, we never even thought of that. Uh, So that's what I mean by diversity of thought. And yeah, that's, that's what I bring into it. So that's what I want people to not, you know, don't, don't clench when, you know, roll your eyes when you hear about, you know, diversity and inclusion. It's, it's going to help you get stuff done. If you have yeah, people looking at things differently, I saw that in the sock all the time. I had very technical people around me who 
could not comprehend why someone would click on a phishing email and or they would put these controls in place that I had to explain to them, you know, their job isn't security, our job is security. You're you're kind of deputizing them <laughs> to yeah. to do things that isn't in aren't in their wheelhouse. And then you sit there and you call them dumb and stupid and yeah. and get get mad at all the end users. Like, no, like I, I felt like I was kind of the voice of reason at times with my different perspective. Um, and a lot of that came from library world. It's a common problem with assurance business units and large organizations. They, mm-hmm. uh, when confronted with the need to move from direct to indirect measures, they come up short and they end up blaming the customer. Mm-hmm. And then what will happen is that business unit over time builds up a culture and then the internal culture actually avoids that unit. And then that unit feels they're being avoided. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, then they will double down and they end up Stalinist really quickly. Yeah, that's a great point that you mentioned that. Yeah, the the talk that I, I created that was born out of my time in the SOC was empathy as a service to create a culture of security. And I, I <laughs> yeah, I, I've given, um, I've never given the same talk twice, but I've given different versions of it. And one of the things that I, I've done is I've taken this principle of library science called the reference interview. It's the seven step process, which was designed to help librarians understand what a, a library patron wanted. Cause you know, how many times people walk into a library and just like, I want a book about cats. I'm like, okay, could you narrow, <laughs> narrow that down a little bit? So the, there's this framework that exists of how to elicit what the patron really, really wants. Okay. So I took the, 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 the reference interview and correlated it to information security. And that's a big part of the talk that I give. And approachability is the number one thing. So when I give this talk, I say to the crowd, you know, how many of your users are afraid of you, afraid to approach the security team? And a lot of them, you know, raise their hands like, yeah, if and I get and I tell examples of true life examples from my experience of times when because of my approachability, which is also called librarian face, which I still have, (laughs) um, people feel comfortable coming to me directly and they would say as much they would say you know i'm i'm really don't feel comfortable going to the main you know inbox of the team and who am i going to get i want to come to you directly and i'll tell you some CISOs did not like that i got in trouble um and i was just exasperated i'm like i stopped a major issue from happening because only because that person was comfortable to come to me and they just they didn't see it that way and you know, it was, it's kind of, that's kind of frustrating, but I still, I still talk about the importance of approachability. You know, the, the best example I give is, you know, if you're approachable, a user said, you know, what would you rather do? Be approachable and a user caused you to um, eat, eat lunch at your desk while you fixed a problem and you nipped, you know, nipped it in the bud. Or you're too scary and nobody wants to contact you. And, you know, one minute till five of on a Friday of a long, you know, long weekend, uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the logs and everything light up 
um, because somebody was too scared to tell you about something and now it's out of control. And now you're working late on a holiday weekend. And, you know, people kind of like you hear grumbles of like, yeah, I'd rather work through lunch. Like, yeah, that like being approachable will help save your weekend. <laughs> you know, is like yeah. if, if that's the bluntest term you want me to use to get you to understand, then fine. Then, you know, that's what I try to I to share these stories to get people to understand of like, you know, if you're approachable, you can you can you know, squash these things pretty quickly. Um, but if you're not approachable, they're going to linger. And then you'll find out, you know, when you get paged at 3 a.m. So uh, I like to I like to share stories like that of my time in the sock, even though it was really, very briefly. Um, but I basically have like four years of sock experience between uh, the New York Times and the pharmaceutical company. And I share these stories because I want people to understand that this, you know, these seven steps, uh, also like listening for what people don't say. You know, people may not know the details that we need to know about an incident. So if they're telling you what happened, uh, I say to people, you're the security you know, professional. You should know in your head how to remediate this issue. So you should have a checklist going in your head of, you know, what did they hit? What did and, you know, you can do even if you have to write this down, you can do it that way. But I do it in my head and I listen to them and I'm checking off things. And then I realize something wasn't ticked and I go back and then I ask the direct question. And then when you circle in on that, then you get the answer you want. You know, the example of that is someone called me in the sock and said, um, you know, I clicked on a, a, what was a phishing email. I went to the site. It didn't do anything. I closed the browser and I'm calling you now. A lot of people would think that was an open and shut case, right? For me, I'm like, let's back up a little bit here. So I'd say, um, and I'm also trying to be very careful with what action words I use because you don't want it to sound like blame. So I didn't say like, well, what did you do? So I'll say, okay, after you after the the link was clicked, what transpired on that that web page that opened up? And and the person said. Oh, well, it asked me for uh, a username and login, and I did that, and I clicked enter, and then the site didn't do anything, and then I closed the browser. Well, notice the first time they didn't say that, right? They just said that. So, okay, well, now we have a new, a new ball game here that they're, they just gave away their credentials, right? <laughs> so because I was going through the, the checklist in my head, I realized that there was some you know information missing, drilled into it, got the answer I needed. And I that's I, I asked them to go. I said, can I put you on hold for a moment? I'm like, I need to to block your login right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Please hold. Yeah. So just knowing how to how you you know resolve an issue is important to listening to what's being told to you and then circling back. And again, you don't have to be mean about it. I didn't I didn't say, you know, what did you do after that? Just okay, just just walk me through it and yeah, I realized, oh, okay, so you just gave away your credentials. Okay, so yeah, like, okay, I need you to hold for a second. Let me go, you know, and I quickly did that and then got them back on the phone and explained what happened. Like, okay, you're going to get, you know, reset and all this. Um, right. And because, but you have to understand, but people have to understand it. So so this woman was saying, well, but I don't understand because the the website didn't didn't do anything. So, you know, without getting too technical, just kind of explain to her like, well, it doesn't need to show you anything, but, you know, on the back end, it did capture, you know, your, your login. So, yeah. you know, again, you don't know what people know. 
And yeah, they might withhold details. Sure, they might withhold details because they know that they did wrong. Okay, fine. That's one option. Or they don't know that that's an important detail. Because again, security is our job, not theirs. They just might honestly not even think that that's a significant detail to share. Um, you know, and there could be a variety of reasons. And those usually are, are, are the main two. Either they knew they did wrong and they're embarrassed or they're scared they're going to get fired or something. The other option is they just didn't know. They weren't trying to, you know to hide anything they just did yeah and those are both fixable yeah exactly you promote an open line of communication with zero shaming and then you enforce training to your end users exactly yeah i'm tired of this you know stupid user this and 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 whatnot that's that's not how you create a culture of security. And I also am a strong believer in teachable moments, which is again, something else from library science. Um, what, what a teachable moment is. And I, I did this a lot. If I had someone click on a phishing email, uh, I would ask them if they had just another minute for me to go over it with them. And I'd share my screen and I'd use my mouse and I'd point out, here are some red flags here that, you know, you may have, may have missed. Um, and again, not, I'm not, and I do it in such a way I'm not chastising them. I just, you know, I'll say like, you know, even if I think that it was an easy to spot fish, you don't say that. Um, you know, but just like, oh, look, you know, like here's, you know, like, let me show you some red flags here. Uh, not everybody was willing or able to, to stay on the phone with me. So I had a, uh, a, a pre-made slide that I would just send to them via email uh, of just examples of what to look for, you know, and at least just giving them that information so they can be aware of, of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I pride myself on, on, you know, giving the, I, a lot of end users is, seems to be a divisive, divisive term anymore. So I've also started using the term consumers of security because whether it's the general public or within your organization, they're consuming your security product. So that's why I've been calling them, cons you know, consumers of security. So, you know, the, the consumers of your security, uh, you know, you know, some of them you can kind of make your deputy deputies, and and enlist them to to help you, uh, because a lot of times they're they're on the front line seeing these these phishing emails, and phishing phone calls and and things like that. So if again if you build up a rapport with with someone, it can go both ways. They can shoot you over things real quick over email and go, this doesn't you know this invoice doesn't look right. The, and speaking of that, the the any of the finance teams, if you work in a, a company, you all need to get together and have lunch because I never want a financial person accounts, you know, accounts payable specifically. I never want an accounts payable person to be unsure about the validity of an invoice and just push ahead anyway because they're too scared to contact security. Um, Never want that to to happen. Uh, once at the at the uh, at at a place that I worked, uh, a, a an eagle eyed uh, accounts payable person spotted that the uh, Swift number was different than what they normally used for this client, and it turns out that it was it was bogus. It was they 
it was a it was a it was a high level fish. It they they had done the the uh, criminals <laughs> did a really good job spoofing what a normal thing looked like, but she said that like something like the account number or the swift number or something like that one of the numbers did was different and she came to me and said that like what what do i do and so yeah so we attacked it that way and gave her lots of praise and kudos and made sure her boss knew of like the and it, of course it was for a large amount i'm like this could have been disastrous oh 100% i strongly urge security teams to you know to to get to know accounts payable folks uh because yeah if they feel comfortable coming to you there is a lot of good you can do uh with that um you know and i i did have so i i've definitely and i've had some false alarms i had one woman uh really concerned that the invoice looked different all of a sudden you know she said i've i've been paying this invoice you know for years and now all of a sudden it looks different Long story short, the company just changed the provider of their invoices, but also didn't bother to tell anyone. So she kept apologizing to me and I kept telling her like, no, you did the right thing. I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, I'm thanking you for bringing it to, you know, our attention, you know, and, and I also helped educate her along the way because you know, she said, well, how if I just reply to this email and ask them if this is okay? And that's when I had to educate her and say, well, let's not do that because there's a chance that you might be corresponding with the criminal. And, oh, I never even thought of that. So I, I said, yeah, let's not do email. I said, but I said, do you know anyone at that company? Like, do you like to actually like if you heard their voice on the phone you would know them she said yeah she said like brenda or whatever i'm like do you have a phone number for brenda i said well, again let's stay off of email she said yeah i have a phone number i said do me a favor call brenda ask her what's going you know make sure it's her ask what's going on and that's how she got to the bottom of it and you know she had said to me she's like oh i would have just been emailing back and blah 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 and i i said i don't know for sh you know again this is before i knew that everything was okay but i said yeah I, like i said we just have to assume that the network is compromised let's just work off of that assumption and you know and then i gave her some knowledge going forward she said oh okay i if i ever see anything unusual from now on i'll know not to reply to the email i'll try to talk to someone i'm like Yes, that's, you know, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And, and I said, she kept apologizing. And I'm like, this is my job. I'm like, no. And and she did a good thing. So, yeah, you need to praise people. I used to give out things called cyber cupcakes because the company I worked for was, you know, it was so large and everybody was out everywhere. So I couldn't physically give them a cupcake. But I just found this, you know, this JPEG image and I would give it out to people if I thought that they submitted a, a sophisticated fish, you know, that they marked it as fishing. Um, and I know that it sounds silly and I know that it sounds stupid, but I kid you not, the positive feedback I got from people because I sent them a, you know, a picture of a cupcake. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I had people write back to me, you know, oh, this made my day. You know, I wasn't really sure about about that one and you know about that 
that email and, you know, and I would tell them why. I'd say, you know, oh, I, I see that you submitted this email, you know, as phishing. And I want to tell you that this is actually a very sophisticated phishing email. You know, great job, Eagle Eye. You know, you did good. Like, here's a, a cyber cupcake. I got so much positive feedback about that, um, that the the company was actually considering making it like a more official thing that like once a month there would be like, you know, like, you know, safe user of the month sort of thing. Unfortunately, I never got off the ground and, you know, and the layoffs happened and things like that. But um, yeah, it had, it was so well received that they wanted to make a program out of it. And it was just a silly cupcake. But I mean, I was genuine when I sent it and I just didn't send it out willy nilly. You had to earn the, <laughs> you had to earn that JPEG. <laughs> I hear you. Well, Tracy, before you go, would you mind telling us where we can find you and connect with you online? Um, well, Twitter's the easiest, I guess. Um, but I'm pretty much InfoSec Sherpa on most social media outlets. I do have a link tree, which I'll send you, which kind of uh, pulls together uh, my talks and my social media and things like that. Okay. So you're based in the Philly area, as am I. Where would you say is the best bar here in the area? Oh, honestly, the best bar is in my house. <laughs> I have I have an impressive bar. I we, So we moved into this house like less than about two years ago. It came with a cocktail room. It has its own like refrigerator and bar set up, like a bar that you can like walk up to. I'll have to send you photos. And then I have just stacks of... Uh, shelves of of liquor and wine when I have a wine fridge and everything so honestly my house is the best bar okay so how about your favorite drink gin and tonic but it has to be very specific it has to be good gin so I like um blue coat gin from Philly yes yeah love that stuff if so if you so here's my tip if you get blue coat gins barrel infused that's like the I think they take like whiskey or whiskey or bourbon barrels and they, they put the gin in there. So it's kind of like an amber color. If you take that with Fever Trees Aromatic Tonic, it's the pink tonic, and you do that with an orange twist, it feels like a hug inside your body. <laughs> it's so good. It sounds amazing. And also, um, there's this Australian, oh, Ro Rohan probably would know it. There's this Australian gin that I like called Four Pillars. And they, they make this one called a Bloody Shiraz gin. They put the gin in Shiraz uh, wine barrels. And so it gets the, the red, you know, from the, the wine. Yeah. And that's amazing as well. So, oh, yeah. Man. All right. Yeah, I love a good gin and tonic, but it has to be. It has to be good gin, like none of that. I don't I can't even think of like a cheap gin. I yeah. just I don't I I don't like sapphire. Um No, blue coat is a truth. Yeah. I know that gin very well. Um now tell me about Ginfosec. Oh, Ginfosec. So um okay, so honestly that that I oh yeah, that that's just a term that I came up with when I was a librarian. Because a lot of the librarians I knew all drank gin and tonics. And we would sit around and talk about library stuff while drinking gin and tonics. So I, um, I would say gin formation professional 
when we were librarians. So I brought Jinfosec, so then I called it Jinfosec coming over here. And yeah, just just the act of sitting around with, with gin and tonic, you know, talking about Infosec stuff, um, you know, and it's not literally gin because then I always get people like, I don't like gin or I don't drink. I'm like, it's just, it's a vibe. It's, it's just, a name. Yeah, it, it's a mood. It's just, you know, it's a mood. But yeah, if you like gin, then yes, embrace it. So, uh, Love it. Okay, well, Tracy, I just heard last call here. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? Oh, boy. I mean, I feel like I'd have to call it Jimfosec. I mean, I feel like that has to be the name. And the signature cocktail would be, yeah, probably like a blue coat. Just the, probably the drink <laughs> that I already <laughs> recommended. I would, If I had more time to uh, to think of this, I'd be more creative. But No, I think that's perfect. I, I would love to have a gin bar and call it Jimfosec and have lock picking and 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 drinks and stuff like i think that's what the world needs it is <laughs> it is 100 percent. listen tracy thank you so much for venturing into barcode i had a great conversation with you and um i hope to see you again soon so nice talking with you this has been great absolutely take care join us next time at barcode where we'll continue to explore the darkest and most adventurous corners of the world. Until then, enjoy your spirits and enjoy life.